Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. As we talk this morning, the message titled is, A King is Born. We are primarily, well, our major focus as Christians is Easter, the resurrection of Christ. The death on the cross, the atonement on Good Friday, the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Paul says, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. However, as I keep pointing out, there would have been no resurrection. We wouldn't be looking forward to a second coming if we didn't have the blessing of the first coming. Jesus being born in these humble circumstances 2,000 plus years ago, the angel revealing himself to Mary. And also, as you'll we'll see, we're going to do a sermon series for the Gospel of Luke next year. It's going to go very detailed. Angel revealing to Elizabeth and Zachariah and the miracle of John the Baptist, the even greater miracle of the virgin birth. And the Christmas story is something that is in some ways simple that most people can grasp when you explain the Christmas story. It's simple in some ways, but also extremely profound, wrapped up in these deep theological teachings of prophecy, the virgin birth, the what we call the theandric union or the hypostatic union of fully God and fully man. You will lose people when you start talking about that stuff. That's going to be over their head. But when you explain the simple Christmas story of God sending His Son to be born, to live, and eventually die for you and for me, when you explain the Christmas story of the people were waiting for this promised Messiah who's going to come and set the captives free for salvation of sin and despair. That's a message that people can understand. Now, as we are coming into Christmas, let me ask an honest question. How many of you are ready for Christmas as we practice it secularly, to be over. And how many are like, you know what, Christmas, I will be a living embodiment of Frankenmuth that could go 365 days a year, and I'm good with that. Yes. And how many are in the middle, like, I like it, but, you know. So, okay, so we got, we got people all over the map on this. And Christmas, as the way many people will practice it and understand it, as we know, it's kind of trite at this point. Keep Christ in Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas, and our focus can be on all different types of things. And there's some points to be made there, but today, I want to not just talk about the true meaning of Christmas. I want to go a little deeper in that and ask the question. For those of you that are here today and those that are watching or will watch at some point, the question is this, which is the theme. If we can throw the theme up. How should we respond to the birth of the king. How should we respond to the birth of the king? If there are some that are here today who aren't quite sure what they believe and who they believe in, I ask, well, how, how should we respond to this? Because Christ comes, as I'm going to talk about in just a bit in this passage, will bring peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men, to people on whom His favor rests. So Christ does bring peace, but we also know that He can bring division for those whom His peace does not rest, correct? The message of the cross, the message of Jesus, can bring some great division to families, to communities, to our entire culture. It can create a lot of problems for different individuals, which is why that we have this, I don't have this rule, but many people have the rule, well, we don't talk about, quote, religion at this dinner table, Right? Because we know that it can be contentious, it can be controversial, it can cause some division. But there's no greater question that we can ask ourselves other than, who is Jesus Christ to you? It's a question that Jesus posed to His disciples. Who do you say is the Christ? And what were some of their answers? Well, some say that maybe you're this person. Some say that maybe you're this. And then Peter says... You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus says to Peter, Blessed are you, Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. Peter being his name in Greek, stone. And on this rock, if you're a Catholic, they will interpret that as being Peter being the first pope and this and that. But the standard Protestant response is that there is this play on words. And on this confession of faith, the church is now being built. Peter was the first person to confess, at least outwardly, that we see in Scripture, that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah. But that's where people were looking for at this time. It was a dark time. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this on Christmas Eve service. It was a time that felt hopeless. And for many generations and hundreds of years, people are looking to see, is this Messiah going to come? What is this Messiah going to be? And we've talked about the expectations, what they thought it was going to be. And now here comes this little baby born humble in a manger. And the birth of Jesus was revealed at a couple different points to shepherds and wise men at a different point, get it? word of what's happening here, and in our manger scenes collectively that are on our nightstands or dinner tables or wherever you put them, we kind of lump everybody all there at once, but it was a little bit different than that in practice. But the shepherds get this vision, or not this vision, they get this word of the birth of Jesus. We're going to read about this in a minute, and they respond a certain way. The question I have for those here today who call themselves believers is, how are you responding to the king? Is the king Lord of your life? today as we finish up 2019 going into 2020? Is the king on the throne in your life, or is the king somewhere far off for all practical purposes in your life? Are you consumed with all the cultural things right now, and not what the, are, are you consumed with the culture, or are you consumed with the king? Which is it? That's if you are a believer, because even believers can fall in that trap. And if you're not a believer, or you're kind of undecided or unsure of what it is you're believing or what you follow, I ask that question, who is the king to you? Who is Jesus to you? How should we respond? How should you respond to the birth of the king? Is it something we should just compartmentalize and stick somewhere in the back of our mind? Is it something that we should maybe occasionally weave into our life one or two hours a week as we go to church, maybe take our families to church once in a great while? Or is it something that is going to be life-transformative, that Jesus is now Lord of my life, 
and I was going this way in life, and now I've done a 180. I've, I've repented of my sins. I have had an encounter with the king, and I have put him on the throne. That's the questions that we should be asking ourselves today. With that said, why don't we read from our passage, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us this morning and ask that we would ask ourselves, what should we be doing in response to the birth of the king? What should we be doing right now in our lives? Right here as we wind up this 2019, going into a new year soon. What does Christmas mean for me? What does the first coming mean for me? What is Jesus and eventually his second coming? What does that mean for me, for my family, for my friends, my sphere of influence that you have me in. We pray, Father, you would help us unpack this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first point that I'm going to make is from verse 8 that we are called, this is in response to the theme, we are called to be in the center of God's will. So again, the question is, how should we respond to the birth of the king? Well, number one, we're called to first be in the center of God's will. The people were where they were supposed to be in this passage. If you look at some of our figures and characters and even beloved figures in Scripture at times, they will get themselves in trouble because they are not where they are supposed to be. Or their hearts are not where it is supposed to be. Or their focus is not where it's supposed to be. Many of the ancient kings of Israel and Judah, their hearts and their focus was somewhere else, and that got them in a lot of trouble, or that got their hearts in trouble. Many of us know the story of David, got himself in a lot of trouble because he was not where he was supposed to be, and it set him up for failure. But if you look here in this passage, individuals were they were supposed to be. Earlier in Luke chapter 1, an angel had spoken separately to Mary, and an angel had spoken to Joseph, we see in, in Matthew's account. And there was some hesitation with both of those individuals at first. 
Joseph for obvious or concerning reasons when, well, when Mary first informed Joseph of what she learned from the angels. Joseph was a little skeptical, as I pointed out. Mary, when you read in the account earlier in Luke chapter 1, she is wondering, how is this going to be that I'm going to be with child? I'm young and I'm still a virgin. Before that, with Elizabeth and Zechariah, Zechariah struggled with this, caused the Lord to close his mouth because he didn't initially believe what Gabriel had told him, that his wife Elizabeth, who was far along in years, was going to have a child. So there was some skepticism all around at first, understandably so. But by the time you get to chapter 2, people are where they're supposed to be. The shepherds themselves, you might not think this is anything too profound, but they were just doing what God had called them to do. They were keeping watch in their fields. It might have seemed like something very routine and mundane, but just by being where they were supposed to be, doing what they were called to be doing, they had this amazing encounter, this amazing divine encounter, didn't they? And I want you to think about that. When you are living your life, you are following after the Lord. You might be just, what you think, going through the motions. But if you are where the Lord has called you to be, you never know how and when and why and where the Lord might reveal Himself to you in ways that you did not think were even known. You just don't know. And you don't know also, again, to the negative example, how the Lord will keep you and protect you by keeping your focus where it needs to be as opposed to where it does not need to be. Like some other examples where people then ran into problems. But here, the shepherds, where were they needed to be? Just doing their thing. To them, think about it. It was just another normal, random day. And now they have this encounter with this angel who appears to them and says, the glory of the Lord Shown around them. We'll get to that in just a bit, how they initially responded to that. But I ask you to seek after God's will for your life. Where does He have you right here and right now? It might not seem like anything too profound. I'm just, stand, I'm just keeping watching my field right now. But if that's where the Lord has you, maybe in a job that you don't think is super amazing at this point, but you never know what the Lord is going to open up. If you're in a position right now where you're wanting something in life, you're waiting and calling out upon the Lord, trust in His will, trust in His timing. You will find peace when you are in the center of His will. When you try to get out of the center of His will, that's when, instead of peace, now we'll have chaos. And the people who were patiently waiting for the Messiah for a long time, generation after generation after generation, though they might have misunderstood what that was going to look like and mean, for those many generations of faithful Jewish people, they were in the center of God's will, trusting in His timing. But now what do we have after the shepherds are, again, just doing their thing, keeping watching the field? Now an angel appears, and now they are terrified. And the angel tells them not to be afraid. I don't know how many, no, I'm sure I could easily find out, but one of the phrases I see over and over again in Scripture, in, say, if you're using an NIV or ESV, you might see it, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. 
In the old King James always, fear not, fear not, fear not. Has the Lord called us to live in fear? He has called us to live instead in peace. Now, I would probably be pretty afraid too if I was one of these shepherds. And all of a sudden, I just saw an angel. And all of a sudden, there was all this stuff all around me. I would probably freak out a little bit because that stuff typically doesn't happen. There was one time, I think I've shared this before, I was quite sure that I had a demonic encounter. And it was taunting me, was how I felt. And it was frightening. And my first initial instinct was terror. And I was reminded, do not fear, fear not. And whatever evil was attempting to come upon me was extinguished, calling on the name of the Lord. There will be other times that it's something good that's happening. Okay, this is a good thing. Angels are appearing to talk about the birth of Christ. Now, that would be a fearful thing for somebody who's maybe whose heart was far from God or somebody who was running from God. We, as we're talking about the first coming today, we look forward, of course, to the second coming, right? It's going to be something to stand before the Lord and be in His sight and in His presence. And it's going to be, quote, fearful in the awe-inspiring way. Not in the, I'm terrified because I'm about to face judgment way, but fear, as we also see in Scripture, is this awe and reverence and respect. It's not necessarily the something bad is going to happen to me fear. But if somebody is far from God, I hate to say it, that is going to be real cause for fear and alarm when you are standing before the Lord on the day of judgment and have to make an account for your life and have to make an account for this thematic question we had. How did you respond to the birth of the king? What was your life like when you were presented with this gospel message What was your response to the king? And if an individual was far from the king or served a false god or a false king, then certainly it's going to be terrifying in the more conventional sense to stand before the Lord. But here, the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is now coming upon these shepherds, and they're afraid, and they're being told to fear not. Don't be afraid. And it's something that we've seen in Scripture over and over and over again. When you look at the promises of God, one of the most pronounced promises, or if you want to say instructions, is not to fear. And at this time, they lived in a chaotic world, just as we live in a chaotic world. And there are so many things out there that can cause us fear or even terror. But God is sovereign and all things are in the palm of His hands. And in fact, things are just designed to scare us and to whip up fear in life, aren't they? Again, I just love picking on the local news. Why not? Are predators poisoning your kids' candy? Check with us at 11 to find out. I mean, it's always just some type of fear-mongering that's going on. And people like to use fear to control other people. It's a good motivator to try to motivate people. But our Scripture is telling us not to be afraid. And the angel says, I bring you good news. And it's going to be of great joy. Now, it's good news to those 
who are serving the king or who are looking for the king. If somebody wants nothing to do with God, they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ, this isn't going to be good news. This isn't going to be something that brings peace or calm. This isn't going to be news that gives them great joy. If we have a completely different idea of what and who should be on the throne, if we decide that we should be on the throne, if we decide that we should be our own little kings and queens, then this message of this Jesus who's come to earth to live and die and rise again for you and for me, for, for, for many of us here today, that message is a blessing. That message is, the, again, the greatest story that's ever, part of the greatest story that's ever been told. But if you who are watching this or you who are here today, if you have decreed that you are your own king or that you can get by without the Lord, or if you are a believer who is backsliding right now and, you know, he's on the throne, but yet your heart is still far from him, or you have your own idea of what life should be like, then yes, this message is going to introduce a little more anxiety. And it's how believers have always been able to say in one way, shape, or form, it's well with my soul, even with the storms around us, because we know that the king is on the throne. We know that God is in control. So that takes us up to verse 9. Then verses 10 through 13, in response to this question, how should we respond to the birth of the king? We're called to be in the center of God's will. We're called to fear not. We're also called to rejoice, verses 10 through 13. Rejoice that in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He's Christ. Christ means Messiah. Christ the Lord. We have a picture of, whether they intended or not, of Trinitarian in action here that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is now born and dwelling among us. Remember I said it's simple, but it's also very complex in ways. It's simple in that we can all understand it, but it's complex thinking about the Creator has now come and is inhabiting the creation. That the Creator is now walking among His creations and living among them, fully God and fully man. Later, we'll be tempted in all ways that we are, but yet sin not. This is something that people have been waiting for for a long, long time. Think back to something that you were waiting for for a long time, and it finally happened. Many of you are like, I just couldn't wait for that new Star Wars movie to come out. There hasn't been a new Star Wars movie in... Two years, well, a year if you count the other one that came before that. You know what I mean? Some of the things that you wait on, do we not have many Star Wars fans in here? Okay, well, you guys did not seem like very big Star Wars fans as I was going into that. I'm not, but I am kind of a convert to the cause, but whatever. You've been waiting for something for so long, and then it's finally there. Or you ever, you just couldn't wait to eat something? Couldn't wait to eat some. Maybe you're getting ready for like Christmas dinner. I don't know what you guys do with your families. There we go. Yes. Now he's like, yeah, now hallelujah. And and so you just know that you're gonna you're gonna have that meal that whoever is prepared and you just can't wait and you sink your teeth into it and it's so good, right? Or even praying that God would answer this prayer, whatever it is, some not just some movie or a food, just some deep life longing. 
something that you've been asking and praying about for years, that the Lord, Lord, are you hearing me? Take all that stuff, even the deepest cries of your heart that the Lord has met. Take that and times that by infinity. This is the arrival of the king being born. This is the arrival of the Messiah, the Savior. Think about, again, that for hundreds of years, you look at the prophecies that we have in Isaiah that we're talking about the Messiah. I want you to think about many of those were over 600 years older, some over 700 years from the time that those prophecies were uttered to the time of this birth. Think about that for a minute. Hundreds and hundreds of years, people have been faithfully praying, and it seemed like for some of them that God wasn't answering. But again, His timing is not ours timing. Second Peter, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. And now, the Messiah is here. Now there is going to be hope for the captives. Now they didn't know it. There's going to be hope for our eternal lives. There's going to be hope for the sin because it's all going to be nailed to the cross. They had no idea how much that they had rejoicing to do, how much there was to rejoice about. And the angels give this praise here, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And again, that peace is going to be on whom that favor rests, whose heart is going to be inclined to follow the Lord. For those on whom his peace does not rest because their hearts are far from him, they're not going to have peace. So we're called to rejoice, and very closely related to that, point number four, we're also called to praise. Those are similar, but a little bit different. I can rejoice about something. I can be happy about something. It doesn't mean I'm going to praise it and worship it, necessarily. So there is a spirit of thankfulness for what God is doing in our lives. But there also has to be a spirit of praise. And when we are praising, especially when we're praising God, the focus isn't on us, right? We have to, as human beings, we tend to like praise. We want everything to be, we want the fingers to be pointed at us. We want the glory to be pointed at us with, with Christmas, with Christ, with the first coming. The focus isn't on us. We need to be praising God for who He is and what He's doing, which is why we gather together here week after week, year after year, century after century, generation after generation to give God praise. And when we look at after the second coming and the new heaven and the new earth, we see this heavenly chord of praise that we all get to be a part of. Now, I know, I know what you're all thinking. I just love coming on a Sunday morning, and it's just so great to hear the music. It's so great to hear the message. They're never boring. I'm engaged every single second. He could go, I'm not tired at all. I'm not going to sleep. This is so wonderful. And, you know, as wonderful as our services might be, think about what it's going to be like to be standing with all the saints. And what I mean by saints, I don't mean it in any Catholic, I mean in the sense of all the believers, all the believers of all time standing before God in unified praise. I want you to think about that for a second. What that is going to be like. We can't even begin to fathom or conceive the greatness to be standing in God's presence. Directly in His, we're in His presence, but you know what I mean, in the most fullest and complete sense. 
And though I have his word, I just, I, how amazing would it have been to be standing there at the birth of the Messiah? Think about it. When you see a little, not, not to denigrate any little babies, they're all beautiful and they're all special, but there have been to stare at baby Jesus, to be in the presence of Christ at any point in his life. And that he was born in this circumstance didn't have to be. This was part of God's eternal plan, pointing all the way back to Genesis 3 that we looked at a couple weeks ago. And it was all leading up to the birth. It was all leading up to the cross, all leading up to the resurrection, and all fully leading up to the new heaven and new earth. So how should we respond to the birth of the king? Again, first, find ourselves in the center of God's will. That's where our hearts are going to be changed to begin with. We're called to fear not because he's in control. We're called to rejoice for what he's doing with the birth of his son. We're also called to praise, and the praise is not focused on us. It's focused on him. And then that takes us through verse 19, but going back from verse 16 to 21, we are called to experience and know the king. We're called to experience and know the king. What did the shepherds do starting in verse 16? It says, so they hurried off, going all the way back to, after, actually, verse 15. Angels left. They said, let's go to Bethlehem. It's, it wasn't enough for them just to hear about it. They wanted to go experience it. Again, this is the difference between simply hearing a message, hearing about Scripture, and experiencing Scripture. It's one thing to hear about God. It's another thing to pursue God. It's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to know God. They had the opportunity to go and see the action in real time. So they heard about it. Yeah, they had this encounter with the angels, and that was quite amazing. But they said, you know what? Let's go and see this little one, which is what they do. They wanted to go and experience the king. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. And they said they're spreading the word about what had happened, and the people are amazed. And Mary, she's being very reflective. She says she's treasured up all these things, and she's pondering them in the heart. And the shepherds, they continue to go on and glorify and praise. And they're experiencing the king. One of the things I, quote, don't like so much about weekly church is that it's, it can be a more passive exercise. It's very easy to just come and sit here, participate a little bit, listen. And those things are necessary. Don't get me wrong. They're necessary. But you take it to the next level when you experience it for yourself. And I, I guess I just ask this. We're talking about how do we respond to the birth of the king. Have you experienced the king in your life? Has there ever been a time, no matter how much church you've maybe been exposed to or how many services you've sat through, has there been a time where you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Has there been a time where you have confessed with your mouth and in your heart that I am a sinner in need of a Savior and that I cannot earn my own salvation? I'm not going to be able to work my way into heaven. Not Myself, not you, not anybody has the ability to do that. Only 
through the death, which started with the birth, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, do we find forgiveness of sins? So have you experienced His salvation? And if you have, I kind of loop back to where this message began. Are you finding yourself in the center of His will? Or is your heart far from Him? If you say that you're a child of the King, you say that you are a subject of the King, what is your worldview? What are your aspirations, your dreams, your goals, your beliefs, your theology? Are they reflected in who Christ is, or is it a manifestation of what you, what you want? Again, this goes back to the issue of praise. Are we, is the focus other, or is it back on us? Have you experienced the King? When people have hurt you, how have you responded? Have you responded as the world would have you respond, or have you responded as the king has? You say you love. Have you experienced the king's love? Has that love been extended to other people? Have you loved the unlovable? Have you ministered to the leper of our day and age? You say you forgive. Have you experienced the king's forgiveness? Have you extended forgiveness to those who don't deserve it? Again, I ask, have you experienced the King? Do you know Him or do you just know about Him? I'm calling you today either into a relationship for the first time or reconnecting with what should be your first love, Jesus. And I ask in conclusion, how has the King's birth changed your life? Has it changed your life? Or does it look exactly as it did before? Has there been no change in your life whatsoever? Or has Jesus done something radically different in you? When people look at your life, do they see something different and unique? Or do they see rank hypocrisy? Or do they see the same thing that they would see in anybody else with just a little Christian bow on it? Has He changed your life? Well, I know He's changed my life, and I know, knowing many of you, that He's changed yours. For some of you, I might not know, and only God knows what's going on inside the heart. But for this Christmas season, let us continue to yield our lives to Him. Let's continue to make sure that He is on the throne. Let's make sure that he is in the driver's seat and we are in the passenger seat. And may we continue to trust for the great things that he's going to continue to do in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our church community.